It's that time. What's that? Cuando? A que hora? Wanna, wanna welcome you. Um, okay, it's going to be an interesting week again. Um, I wanted to start off this week, if you recall last week, I, uh, I confessed to the group, to the class, that I was struggling with the last few verses and knew that I was missing something. Um, Shortly after class, I was presented on loan <laughs> this book. Let me tell you something, folks. God has blessed his body with this book. Um, <laughs> it, it really, as I started reading it, I was like, that's what I was missing. And it's what we, it's a, uh, uh, it's commentary, expository commentary on John and Acts. And John was done by, uh, what was the first name? Dr. Jim Hamilton. Dr. Jim Hamilton. Jr. Jr., who these two guys have studied under. And uh, it's, this is being circulated to the members of the team, teaching team that, uh, so that, we can benefit from it, and, and it's now. I now I want to get me a copy. <laughs> so anyway, that was a rich blessing. It definitely helped. Uh, it also introduced me. I mean, it's a concept I knew about, uh, and we've heard about them here in in. Uh, adult discipleship. We've heard the term chiasm or chiasm. Uh, I've known about that for a long, for some years now, but had never spotted it in this passage. And as he started breaking it down, I was like, oh my word. Now, does any, anybody not remember what that is. Refresh us. Refresh us. Uh, we're going to be refreshed as we go through. Uh, even with visuals. Ooh. But um, unfortunately that's the only thing I successfully brought with me. And that's why it's going to be an interesting week. I, my notes did not get transferred to my online storage as I'm Sure I did. So I don't have any notes for this morning. <laughs> We're going to be like the preacher that said, I'd like to, you know, there's, there's, I'd like to tear up my notes and preach to you from my heart. Well, today I'm going to tear up my heart and wish I could preach to you from my notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, anyway, so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We got through verse 11, basically. Um, and uh, there's nobody back there in the booth. I got you. You got me? Okay. Um, and for the sake of a little bit of review, I'd like to put the first slide up. And this is going to introduce us once again to the idea of chiasm and show us what we covered last week of the chiasm without realizing that we were covering the, a chiasm. Um, verses 1 through 5 present us with the word as God, the agent of creation, life, and light. And um, then moving to the second point, we see in verses 6 through 8, John the Baptist testifying. Then we see, verse 9, the presentation of the true light. And then we see in verses 10 and 11, 
that this light is rejected by the world and by his own. That's the first half of the chiasm. Now what we're going to do today, the ground we're going to hope to cover today, is going to work back outward from that to, uh, in repeating, or con either re uh, matching thoughts or contrasting thoughts. Uh, point by point. So that it, it starts with these, this concept and it builds and it builds and it builds. And often with a chiasm, especially when you get uh, two points, like we're, the first point we're going to add is going to match, rejected by the world and by his own. Uh, you could throw that up there, it wouldn't hurt. Uh, we see in verse 12, he is received by those born of God. And in a chiasm, especially when you have a matched pair at the end and not just one, uh, that's the main point. That's the main thought that the author is trying to accentuate. And everything pivots around it. Uh, so this being the central point that John's trying to get at through this part, we need to ask some questions about this being rejected by the world and by, and by his own, but being received by those born of God. One of the questions that comes up in Christian circles uh, is the idea of what's called prevenient grace. Uh, anybody already know, other than our seminary people, what, <laughs> what that is, what prevenient grace is. No, no hands so far. Sitting on hands, yes. Um, <laughs> all right, prevenient grace could be defined as an act of God by which he gives all mankind enough grace to raise them from the dead, from spiritual death, and enable them to make a decision for or against Christ. And that is a fairly common view in Christian circles. In fact, it might even be the majority view without actually understanding that that's what they believe. But is it true? My argument would be, no, it's not. Uh, we have the words of the Apostle Paul, for example, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time passed, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to spiritual wickedness that is at work among unbelievers. You he made alive together with Christ. By grace you were saved. What is he saying? He's saying that that, that imparted spiritual life Saved. It wasn't just an opportunity to be saved. It saved. Because he, were, he didn't just raise you and then let you choose whether you would be with Christ or not. He raised you together with Christ. By grace, you were saved. So... The whole idea, this whole idea of prevenient grace is really outlawed by that and a number of other places in, in the scriptures. Uh, it really isn't about us and our decisions. It really isn't about us at all. It's about Christ. That's why this appears in this whole passage about the Word. It's about Him. It's about 
his work and his person, not us. Uh, so that's why if you, if you look at uh, verse 12, for by grace, or sorry, for by grace, I, am, I have my mind in Ephesians there. Uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The common thought is that we have a cause and effect relationship here. One thing causes another. And guess what? I would agree. But the common thought is receiving Christ causes you to become a child of God. But again, what have we just discussed? How is the dead, how is a dead person going to accept Christ? He's not. And so what we have to see, see this verse as saying is he's saying in essence, you could say, uh, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, God had given the right. I mean, there's a more technical tense in the Greek, I think, that, that would express that. But this can be taken that way, that it is the, the, the given right that came first. And that made us sons of God. Uh, and then verse 13, who who were born. And there's something interesting about this. Um, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, remember that word, become children of God, who were born, remember that word. We have seen, if you look at the Greek, we've seen this word occur earlier on in this passage several times um, for instance there was a, a man sent from God whose name was John which meant there came to be so he's saying here in verse 13 who came to be what they are not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But there's an even more important place in this passage where that same word is used. And that is, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So when he, in the flow of this passage, says, you were, as the translation says, born not of the will of the, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, who gets the credit for that? God himself. Because without him, without this word that we're studying, nothing was made that was made. But we were born, we were made that. We were made children of God by God, by His act. There is no focus whatsoever on us as decision makers in the process. There is no focus on us as the pivotal, the linchpin that ties things together, as the final decision maker in whether this happens or not. It's, go, it's of God. It's of Him. He gets the glory. So He is received by those who are born of God. Think about that a bit. About, and apply that to yourself. 
to your thoughts about yourself and your family and your friends. Those people that you long to see come to Christ. As important as it is for us to share the gospel, the truths of the gospel with them, what is going to make the difference? The Holy Spirit. That's all. That's all. I, I lived for some years in the guilt of feeling like regarding some family members that I cared about deeply and wanted to see come to Christ, but couldn't find scriptural warrant for saying, yeah, they are saved. We always want to give our families the benefit of the doubt, and it's not always warranted. Um, but I lived in guilt for, for some years, thinking if only I could present the truth clearly enough, they would respond positively. And so when I saw them harden their hearts and turn away from it, it was my failure. Mm -hmm. People, please, I beg of you, don't walk in that guilt. Don't live in that guilt. But don't fool yourself either. Oh, I believe. Oh, he's saved. He's saved. He just has never shown any fruit. Mm, maybe not. What's that? Make, make the tree good, and it's fruit good, and the tree evil, and it's fruit evil. Aha! Uh -huh. All right. Peanut Gallery has said, no, no, I'm saying that in a joking way because what you just said is very valuable. And for those who didn't hear it, make, Jesus said, make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree evil and its fruit evil. Now, that doesn't mean we make the tree. He means be consistent in your thinking. If you're recognizing that the life of this person is not in any way manifesting the life of God. If you're recognizing that all the fruit is bad, then recognize that the tree is bad. And don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself. That's way off the topic, but when I don't have notes, that's where it goes. But not really. Not really. Um, I mean, it proves two things. It proves the rejected and received. Those who have mm -hmm. the rejected by the world and his own uh, have bad fruit. Don't mix the, the bad fruit with the good tree. It yeah, can't happen. That's true. Um, but those who receive have good fruit, and they have good roots, and those are born of God. It's like the what this construction is kind of showing us is that if they have received God as their Savior, if Jesus is their Savior, then it was because God brought them to that, right? He regenerated their hearts. And so he's the one at the root of the tree. And the tree has created what God has rooted in and that it is now giving good fruit the reception of the gospel in Jesus Christ. But, um, the opposite is also true. Yeah. So we don't get the credit no. for the salvation of ourselves or of those loved ones. But we also don't get the blame for the lack of salvation in them. If, if, if you end up in hell, yeah, you get the blame for that. Because we are responsible before God. But you aren't responsible for my salvation. Right. Yeah. Don't uh, let that burden fall on your head. Jeremiah 31, 28. Uh, no longer will the man have a man's teeth be set on, or a son's, yeah, son's teeth be set on edge because of one man's his father's sin. But everyone will be accountable for their own sin. And so the, the idea of everybody's required is actually back in Jeremiah. Excellent passage to, to bring in at this point.
Sorry, I'm. No, don't apologize. Help you with your notes. And you are. You. Are, I mean, those weren't in the notes. Uh, when I called you the peanut gallery, that was purely for the humor's sake. Please know I value that input. Oh no, you're good. And not just from you. <laughs> um, but um, um, anyway, let's uh, let's look now at verse fourteen. And you can go ahead and throw that. Oh, I'm trying to do two things. Sorry. Oh, three. It's re. It's re. Uh, reconnecting. There we go. And the screensaver kicked in the screen clock. Don't you love smartphones? All right, let's look at verse 14. And there was a lot in this, and I hope I can remember it all. Um, for those of you who came late, somehow all the notes that I worked on this past week that I distinctly remember dragging over to my online storage so that I could open it in my tablet didn't, don't show up on my tablet. They're poofed. So I'm kind of off the cuff here this morning. Um, so be patient with me if I get uh, lost here somewhere. But verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse... And I praise God for for handing me that that uh, commentary when he when he did because not that man I mean he's a brilliant man obviously but all he's doing is explaining scripture and, and doing so in an excellent way that that I really needed to see um, but I praise God for for the appropriate timing of that the providence of that. This verse is so vital to the passage. And what I never saw about this verse until I was reading Dr. Hamilton. My brain was wanting to start the last name with a W. Uh, <laughs> um, was how much John draws on the book of Exodus in this verse. What? Exodus? In, in John? Dollar of the And I'm looking forward to finding more. Uh, but um, the word became flesh. Now that's that same word again. If this is the only time where that word became is used of the word. The rest of the time, it's that other word that I described last week of the, the timeline that goes on. The flesh had a beginning. The flesh came to be made by God, made by this word. Uh, but the word became flesh. Why flesh? Tell me something. Thinking in the book of Exodus, where does flesh come in? Where does flesh enter the picture in Exodus? Hmm, all right, Exodus is a big book. Let me, let me. Like the end. What's that? Like toward the end. Oh, I was thinking like toward the beginning. Beginning and the end, but it's really clear at the end. Oh, well, maybe you'll have to tell me about that one. Um, <laughs> I'm dense sometimes. But I'm thinking the Passover. That's good. What? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the original Passover in chapter, is that 12, I think? Um, where they were to kill the lamb and eat all of its flesh that evening. And the, the instruction is given very carefully. Eat, eat it, eat all of its flesh that night. Don't leave any of it till morning. And here we have the word becoming flesh. And what do we hear 
later in the, in the Gospel of John said about Jesus or by Jesus about himself. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the Lamb of the Passover. And Jesus said of himself, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink His blood, you have no life in you. The Word was made that flesh. More than just the Word took on a body, a humanity. It's more than that. The Word became that flesh. How do I know that? Why do I say that? And the Word became flesh and built his tabernacle among us. That's the word used there. So we first have Passover, and then we have the building of the tabernacle. And we have seen his glory. One of my favorite passages in Exodus comes right after the golden calf. The people have sinned a great sin. Moses goes to God and says, God, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, blot me out of the book that you have written. Sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and separated from Christ for the sake of my people Israel. Same heart shared by the two of them. A love for their people and a desire for their spiritual well-being. But um, God says, in essence, no, I'm not going to watch you out of my book. I'm going to punish the ones who actually didn't sin which shows us a contrast between Moses and this word that became flesh. Because he did bear the punishment of his people. I think you're, I mean, just to kind of back it up just a little bit more, you're, the, the beauty of a lamb living amongst the people who are going to sacrifice him. In the Passover is exactly what he's talking about. Look, the word became flesh and dwelt among them. Good but what point. did they know? They did not know him. Right? They they did not, they looked at this as a way to appease the angel of death in the or you know God himself in the Passover. But in this case, it is to appease the justice of God and his wrath being put off on his people on, on all humanity. But that lamb being in the house was to remind them what, what, what cost it, it took, right, to take away their sin, a full destruction of flesh, and that flesh dwelling among them there, the, the lamb dwelling among them in the beginning, and now the, that Jesus has come in flesh, dwelt among them, tabernacle, yes, the tabernacle comes right after that, it even proves it even further, right, proves it to a point even more. But the fact that um, they have seen what glory that brought in the Exodus mm -hmm. is now being seen in this person, Christ, Jesus. Um, and 114 is like a huge verse. It is. You massive. Can, you can literally talk about it for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not exhausted. And not exhausted. Yeah. Just. Ah, oh, praise God for beginning to open my eyes on this. Because it just, I was sitting there at my desk at my computer going, no way. Um, this is just wonderful. <laughs> but um, anyway, back to this. I, thank you for adding that. that that's an excellent point. Did anybody not hear that? Okay, good. Because that was worth hearing. Um, <laughs> you could repeat it. Um, that's what I was going to ask if they didn't. Because um, you said it better than I could remember to say it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, 
back to where I was uh, in, in this thing after the golden calf. I, I don't remember all of the interchange, but God says something to Moses that it has to do with him agreeing to go with the people again. Um, and when he says that, God said, or Moses, in awe of this God that would be willing, having just threatened to wipe out the whole nation, this God that would be willing to then say, but no, because of the sake, for the sake of my word and my reputation, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with you. Moses had appealed to him, and I'm just starting to remember, based on, hey, what are the Egyptians gonna say about you if you wipe out these people? What about your promises if you wipe out these people? And God said, okay, I'll go with you. And Moses is, are you raising your hand? Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you can finish. I just had a few thoughts about what you were saying. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me get to, uh, to a point that's not far away here. Moses' response to that is a simple requirement. Simple. I mean the structure of the sentence is simple. A very short, succinct request from God. God, show me what makes you so glorious. I'll stop there for a second to give our brother a chat. And it, and it, and it goes, it, it, uh, what I'm thinking is like all tied into what you're saying. Like earlier you mentioned um, about, you, you talked about what we take responsibility for and what we don't. And I, I've heard a paraphrase before, like the Christian life is one in which we take uh, all of the credit for, for all of our failures and none of the credit for, for any of our successes. Amen. Right? And, and God designed salvation in a way Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you know, that, that we are saved by grace through faith, and that in ourselves is a gift of God so no man may boast, right? And salvation, our, the Christian life is one that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, by his works alone on the cross, that, that, and so we, we have nothing to boast in in and of ourselves. And then you're talking about the flesh, and, and when you start talking about the flesh, and about Christ becoming the flesh, Romans 8 immediately jumps to mind because the first half of the chapter, he says flesh like 6,000 times. <laughs> so in, 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 in verse, uh, yeah, so in verse, in, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So, like you talked about, like why, why did God send Jesus in the flesh? And it was because we are weak in the flesh. We we cannot fulfill the righteous law of God. We cannot. We have nothing to boast because we cannot obtain salvation ourselves. We cannot obtain a right standing with God ourselves. Christ needed to come in the likeness of sinful flesh. To show, like, to to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in us, and uh, I had one other point, but I think I it, I lost it. But, uh, oh, oh, yeah. So, and then the, the glory of God. So then he, he goes in for the rest of the the yeah. one fourteen. He talked about Exodus. He said, like, so all of this, and in, in John is saying, like. So now we've seen the glory of, of God through Christ, right? So all of this, the way that God designed salvation, so that it's all through Christ and his works, so that we boast in him and in the spirit, not of the flesh. You go back to Exodus, I think it's chapter 32, when Moses is on the mountain, he's like, God, show me your glory. And God's like, no, because if I did, you would die. But, but what's crazy is he actually does reveal his glory to Moses. He was like, I can't reveal my physical appearance of what you were thinking, but here, here here's my glory. In the fullness of my glory in this one state, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Yep. I'm laughing because you've just summarized everything I was headed for. <laughs> you know how it feels. <laughs> I know how it feels. Uh, very well. Very well said. Very, very appropriate. Thank you. Thank you for that. Sorry, I was getting on that. <laughs>
That's all right. I've done it. To, I've done it to others. It, it's, it's good to. Uh, it's it, the Lord's. It's it's the Lord's thunder. It's not mine. Yeah, I didn't come up with these things, and neither did you. And so, it. it I appreciate you throwing that in. I wanted to hear what you had to say, and it, and that that's one of the beautiful things. Oh, this is just a, a freebie. I'm not going to charge you for this. Um, one of the beautiful things that I have praised God for about Him bringing me here. Uh, I have been in churches where I have tried to contribute these kinds of thoughts in a discussion class. And I, I felt the need to contribute them because the teacher was missing the point so badly. And here, what I have found by the grace of God is a body that is peppered with people who will all say the same thing. And it's not because we've been brainwashed. It's because we're looking at the scriptures the same way. And it is such a blessing to me to hear these echoes. Sometimes the echo has arrived before the, before the teacher says it, but that's okay. <laughs> it means we're on the same page, and that is just, oh, that is such a blessing. So thank you. Thank you. So, the, so as he put out, which is where I was going, Moses cries out, God, show me your glory. And what God reveals, we all think about Moses being hidden in the cleft of the rock, seeing this light glowing. And that may, there may have been something like that involved. But what the text focuses on in Exodus is not what Moses saw, but what he heard. The Lord says, I am going to make all my goodness pass before you, and I am going to proclaim my name. And remember that in, in these Semitic languages, that and doesn't always mean, oh, and one more thing. It means, let me restate what I said in different words. So when he says, I'm going to make all my glory pass before you, by that I mean, I'm going to tell you my name. And it's going to describe what I am. And I, as he, uh, our brother and I, I am bad with names again. Josh. Josh, okay. As Josh pointed out, uh, there are a number of things in that passage that come in here that we're going to see uh, as, as we continue to verse on uh, to the rest of the, the passage to verse 18. Uh, these things he, he pointed out are going to come back up. Um, so we have seen his glory. Now let's take the next phrase. The glory as of the only Son from the Father. Uh, he just said two verses earlier, to those who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now he says he's the only begotten Son. Is there a contradiction here? No. No. Because he changes the word he uses. Uh, we had that word that keeps showing up in the passage. And this, this word, uh, wow. This word, I just looked at the time. <laughs> this word is from the same root, but it's got a prefix on it that says only begotten. And its only its purpose is to point out the begetting of this one 
is different. It is unique. It's not that there are no other children of God. We have, you know, Jesus being referred to as the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, it's that it's unique. And that's why this passage is, is focusing on him. Uh, I want to deal with that just I just want to leave that where it is. The only begotten Son of the Father, then full of grace and truth. The last phrase of this verse. Where have we heard that before? Well, actually it's sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. But where does it originate? Guess where, Josh? That passage you referred to. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, abounding in loving kindness and truth. So that God, who back then proclaimed his name and revealed his glory in that, in that proclamation, who said to Moses, no man can see my face and live, is the same one that we are reading about in this verse, where it is said of him, and we beheld his glory. We were enabled by God's grace to look upon it, to gaze upon the beauty of this one. We beheld his glory. Now John means by that, he's referring to more than just what I'm talking about there, uh, of all of us seeing. He's speaking of himself and Peter and James on the Mount of Transfiguration, beholding the, beauty, the glory of Jesus Christ when he was transfigured before them. But you and I are able, enabled by God through his word to see the glorious things of God in Jesus. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being changed into that same glory from one degree of glory to another. Where are we seeing that glory with this unveiled face? Well, in another place, the apostle says, See, beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And contrast that with Moses, who when he came down from the mountain, his face in the book of Exodus was glowing. So much so that the people ran from him and he had to call them to himself. But he also covered it. Why? Because it faded. And he didn't, according to Hebrews, he didn't, want the people to see that the glory was fading. And he would go back up unto the Lord and unveil his face and absorb the, the glory and come back down and let them see it a little bit and cover it up so they wouldn't see it fading. But this one, this one who was made flesh and dwelt among us, his glory does not fade. All right, I've got, to, I've got to see if I could summarize where we're coming. Or where, where we would be heading. Just try to get you through it so you don't have to put up with me a third week. <laughs> um, verse 14 says, well, I'm sorry, let cover verse uh, 15 right now. Go ahead and bring that up. John the Baptist testifies again. I, I kept wondering why this one verse was stuck where it was. It's to fit the chiasm. Yeah. Uh, because it could very well have started, gone with verse 19. But he just took it and stuck it up there. 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. I like the way one commentator put it. He was saying, in essence, My successor is my predecessor. The word says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, I'll make care of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's saying, yeah, he was born six months after me. But he has he ranks higher than I do. Because he existed from the beginning. And John just puts that right here to fit the chiasm. Follow the pattern. Uh, for, for from his, verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received the revelation of the glory of the Father in the Son. For from his fullness we have all received what fullness? What does it say in verse 14 that he's full of? Full of grace and truth. Where did we hear that before, Josh? Abounding in loving kindness and truth. John is just drawing on Exodus to say, this is the one. This is the lamb. He's the better lamb because this one serves for all. He's the better Moses. His glory does not fade. He's the better law. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin did. Isn't that what you were reading from? You you really did guess. Not guess. But you really did get all of it beforehand, I think. <laughs> he, this Christ that we're talking about, this word that we're talking about, is the revelation of the glory of God. And we have received that full, from that fullness grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You want to know one way that that shows itself? I've spent time this morning before, before my Lord in confession of things that I saw in myself that were failed, where I had failed Him, where I had not obeyed Him, and yet, he did not strike me dead. But, but lets me live, cleanses me, and gives me the privilege of standing before you and opening his word. Because it isn't about me. That's grace upon grace upon grace. Live in that grace, brothers and sisters. Live in that grace. And if you, if you happen to be sitting in the sound of my voice and you've been trusting in a decision you made or anything that starts with I, turn from self to this Savior. For the law, verse 17, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then... Just to, just to wrap this up quickly. Verse 18. What did God say to Moses? No man can see my face and live. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. He has revealed Him to us. What a treasure. I see a hand. Thank you for that hand. I see a <laughs> No, I, I was just thinking of interesting how, like, in Exodus, like, the, the Bible says the first Samuel that man judges by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. When Moses was, like, showing your glory, 
God was like, you can't, like, I'll show you my glory, but not the way that you think. Right? <laughs> you're, you're thinking how it appears. You just want to see my face. You want to see what I look like. That's not my glory. Like, my glory is in my nature of who I am. Yes. And when, yes. when Moses came down, they saw a reflection of God's glory in the physical manifestation that faded. But now with the Holy Spirit, we have the glory of God through Christ and the plan of salvation in our nature, the nature of God. We have the, the spirit of the living God in us. And now the, that glory does not depart to the point where nobody, they, they don't look at us and see the physical glory of God like they did Moses' face shining, but like Acts 4.13, where they look at, at us and say, like, we can tell they came with Jesus. Yeah. Like the glory yeah. of God is made manifest in us by changing our nature to be like his and truly revealing his glory, not in a physical, temporary thing, but in a permanent, eternal, everlasting change of our Okay. And thank you again. Thank you. That's that's wonderful. But we've got to finish. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Uh, but my in my closing encouragement to you is look for that Christ. To, re- to reinforce these truths throughout the gospel and stand in awe of Him. Let's, let's pray real quick. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word, both that which is written and that which walked among us. Teach us through them both. Open our blinded eyes. And cause us to see. In Jesus' name. Amen.